Well, the last time I was here, about a year ago, I think we, we handled fully, um, we settled all the issues of Calvinism, Arminianism, <laughs> eternal security and predestination, and uh, free will. So we got all that. Uh, you weren't even here. Uh, you probably heard. Um, today we're going to look at something a little easier, <laughs> potentially. Um, knowing and doing the will of God. And the passage we're going to base this on is from John, 1 John, uh, John's first letter, chapter 2. 1 John, chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. So if you have a Bible, you can turn to that or flick to that or roll to that, whatever device you're using to find that. 1 John, chapter 2, starting with verse 15. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away. But whoever does the will of God lives forever. So this concept, it sounds pretty simple, isn't it? I mean, all you need to do is do God's will, and you live forever. Um, That's easy, huh? Has anybody here ever struggled with knowing God's will? Have you? I, I know I have. I've struggled a lot in my life at various times. Wondering, what does God have for me? What does God want me to do? What, what decision should I make in this regard or that regard? Um, and that's what we're going to look at a little bit today. How do we understand and comprehend God's will? And I'm going to break this down um, into, into four areas. We're going to look at God's primary will. We're going to look at God's express will. We're going to look at God's personal will, and then we're going to look at what happens in the time of the desert, desert times. So we all struggle with this. You know, we, we tend to want God to speak very, very clearly to us. I don't know about you, but there, in my life there have been times when I say, God, if you would just tell me, would you please just tell me what to do? Should I do this or that, take this job or that job, or these, marry her or her? No, I didn't, I didn't struggle with that one. That one was, I didn't have to spend a lot of time uh, on that one. But say, if you would just send me a telegram or a note or a text, uh, that would be great. Just tell me and I'll do it. I'm not sure that's really true, though. If you look in Scripture, look in the Old Testament. Let's take, for example, the Israelites in their 40 years of wandering in the desert. Um, They had a pillar of fire by night, pillar of cloud by day. All they had to do was follow that. When it moved, they moved. That was it. God spoke absolutely directly to them. So there were no complaints, right? Remember those stories? They complained all the time. All the time. We don't have food and water to drink. So God provided manna. And then manna wasn't enough. They needed more. They needed meat. So he gave them quails to eat. And then they didn't like that. And they wanted to go back to the leeks and onions of Egypt, which... I don't know, I'd stick with the quail myself, but they were, they were complaining all the time and disobeying when the presence of God was very clear. They were clearly told what to do, and they didn't. And you and I are a picture. They are a picture of us. We do the same things. 
God, I think, knows. Our desire is saying, tell me what to do. God may be saying, yeah, if I told you right out, you wouldn't do it anyway. Um, we want those things to happen. But more often, we need to look at these other ways that God will speak to us. Think of, think of uh, Gideon. Remember Gideon, one of the judges? And the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon. And there's no doubt, if you read that context, that he knew it was the angel of the Lord. He, this was God's messenger to him. And he said, all right, Gideon, I want you to go fight the Midianites, and you will defeat them. So what did Gideon do? He said, well, how can I be sure I'll, I'll defeat them? It's God talking to him, telling him. And he said, all right, let me put the fleece out tonight and see if it's wet. And so it was wet. And he said, all right. Now are you going to do it, Gideon? He said, no, let's try one more time. Let's put it out and see if it's dry. And, you, know, it's dry. you know, when God speaks, many times we don't even listen when he speaks directly. So let's look at this idea, looking at, first of all, God's primary will. And this I would define as God's will for all people, for every person. It doesn't matter who you are, this is God's will for you. We don't use much anymore a lot of the older catechisms, the Heidelberg Catechism, the Westminster Catechism, and some of the creeds. But those were put there by lots of people who thought long and hard and kind of distilled a lot of Scripture into common questions so kids would learn that growing up. And So the first question in the Heidelberg Catechism is, what is the chief end of man? What is the answer to that? You all know that, right? Correct, to, to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. It's the chief end of man. And I would put it to you that that is God's primary will for all people. It's why he created you, to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And you'll, you'll recognize that that's an and. It's not an or. It's not a choice. You either get to glorify God or you get to join him. And sometimes we, we try to do that. We say, all right, I really enjoy this thing, whatever this is, but I know it doesn't glorify God, but I'm going to do it anyway because I enjoy it. Well, no, it's an and. And sometimes we go the other way. We, we put a very pious uh, position on ourselves and we say, all right, I know this glorifies God, but I don't enjoy it at all, so, but I have to do it just because it, it glorifies God. No, they go together. The two of them go together. We glorify God and enjoy him forever. Now, this is not to say that there will be no stress or work or trials or difficulties. If you think about it, many of the things you enjoy, take all of those. Take work, stress, trials. Some people enjoy basketball, baseball, running. Some enjoy music. Some enjoy drama. Some joy building and woodworking and all these things. It takes work, it takes practice, it takes stress, and you enjoy it when you get to understand it. So, yes, it does take some work. But we know this even in how we raise our children, for example. Um, I told a story about my mom in the first service. I, I guess I'll... Uh, she's here now, so I... When we were little kids, it was a rule at the table... Um, you had to eat some of everything that was on the table. And there were things I didn't like. I just didn't prefer them. And uh, 
Squash was one. Oh, I just couldn't stand. And lima beans and asparagus. No, those things were just, I didn't want those. But we had to. That was clear. There were many a day I sat at the table for quite a few hours after everybody left <laughs> with these vegetables in front of me, with my mother saying, you're not leaving till those are eaten. Um, and I'm glad she did it. I, can, I like those things now. I enjoy those things. And I can eat anything, really. There's virtually nothing that I won't eat. And I live in a culture that if we go to the village, that's a good characteristic to have because you're going to get some funny things with intestines served and a little bile sauce on top. And, uh, so it's, uh, it's a good trait to have, and I appreciate that that was done. When, when we teach our children, the first time a child reads Shakespeare, how many of them say, oh, this is, I love this? Occasionally, occasionally. But most kids will say, I don't even understand that. I don't even know what those words mean. All right, then let's learn it. Let's go through, take the work that's required to learn it and appreciate what is in Shakespeare and that will bring joy to you. And kids will look and say, I don't think so. But we know as parents or teachers that this is going to bring you joy. We all, we all have different preferences. It's not to say that everyone likes Shakespeare. The old hymns are very similar to that. In today's culture, you've all heard it. I've heard it a thousand times. Those old hymns, they just don't speak to me at all. I don't enjoy them at all. Well, you haven't taken the time to think about them, to learn them, to look at the words, to look at the history, to see where they've come from, and they can be very deep and very meaningful to us. Not to say that newer contemporary songs, the song I sang you today was a very contemporary, just out in recent years, put with an older hymn. Um, but all of these types of things, poetry and sports and these kind of things, that takes work but will bring joy once we attain some degree of mastery over them. Many things that bring us lasting joy take work and stress and trials. Now, involved in this concept of the primary will of God that we are to glorify him and enjoy him forever is we must recognize our identity. What is our identity in all of this? And this is another thing I've noticed lately. Um, if you ask, what is your identity in God? People might say, they might, they might pick something other than what I think is the truth. I think the truth is, you are a child of God, created in his image. That's who you are. People will so frequently jump to, there's a lot of things you can jump to. You can jump to race or ethnicity. You can jump to gender or occupation or likes and dislikes. And you, you can identify, that's my identity. No, that's not really your identity. Your identity is your child of God, created in his image. And if we could remember this one truth, your child of God, created in his image, to glorify him and enjoy him forever, many of the problems with knowing what is God's will would go away if we really understood that and applied it daily in our lives. I was bothered initially when I was thinking about this. So God created us to glorify him. Hmm. This is a God who seeks self-glory. That's a little unpalatable. 
The reason it's unpalatable is because we see it in others, don't we? We see sports figures, actors, music people. I see it in surgeons all the time, particularly when I work in the United States, who they're the, they're the top dog, you know? There's, they, you know. They tell the story of, of uh, in heaven, the, uh, uh, a man was, just got to heaven and saw somebody walking around in a white robe and a stethoscope around his neck. And they said, is that guy a doctor? They said, no, that's God. He's just pretending to be a doctor. <laughs> so we, we identify, we put those things, we, we, when we vaunt ourselves up, we don't like seeing other people do that, do we? Um, it makes us, it makes, it grates against us. I remember a concert my mother went to and when I was in college. She usually doesn't go to contemporary Christian concerts, but I got her to go to one. And there was the, the performer, he was speaking about, he, he spoke some really good things, talked about, I want all the glory to go to God. His name was up there and massive lights flashing on and off and on and off. And I thought, they don't go together. There's something discordant here. So when we see people doing that, drawing glory to themselves, some politicians current day even do that, uh, it grates against us, and we think that's, that's not what we like. The reason is that God is totally different than any other person. God is good. God is always and forever good. And there's no person in the world that we can say that about. When I think of goodness, I think of my sister, Vicki. Vicki is one of the goodest people I know. In my eyes, she can't do anything wrong. But she's, like all of us, has imperfections and flaws and sins and temptations. God is different. He is good. When we're talking about God seeking his own glory, it's because we believe in his ultimate goodness. Would we want anything else than an all-powerful, all-loving God who genuinely believes in his own justice and his own goodness? You can't say that about anybody else or any other deity that people put forward except our God. And the two parts of the answer to glorify him and enjoy them forever, they're linked together. You can't pull them apart. And think about it. You do this every day. You get, I don't know what they, Gilbert. I think Gilbert is the brand up here, right? You get Gilbert ice cream. You say, oh, this is the best ice cream. Or you go to the press guy and you get that ice cream. You say, oh, this is great ice cream. And you tell others, oh, you've got to try that ice cream. It's best. Uh, or you go to Donker's Foot. You've got to go there. And, I mean, it's great, you know. We praise the things we enjoy. And we, we do that purposefully, really. We, we enjoy them. We want others to know we enjoy them. And we, in fact, want to introduce other people to this thing that gives us joy. C.S. Lewis says it this way, that when, when we react against God seeking his own glory, we do that because we envision that he is like a vain woman seeking compliments. That's what he says. Now, you could, you could insert man in there. Vain man, that would be simple. And in today's age with, with uh, tight abs and facial jewelry and makeup for men, um, we can draw attention. I, I don't, I'm not using any of those things yet. 
Uh, and I've cut way back on my hair products lately <laughs> as well. Um, I remember seeing an advertisement for one of these super expensive watches. I think it was in a plain magazine when I was traveling. And it's like those $4,000 watches. And they had a little motto that they put there. It said, it, said um, it is not just a timepiece. It's a statement. And I just thought, that is absolutely wrong. It is just a timepiece. That's what it is. It's a watch. It's exactly what it is. You're not making a statement about yourself. And when we see people do that, it bothers us a little bit. But God is completely different. And real enjoyment overflows into praise. Lewis says it this way, The world rings with praise. Lovers praising their mistress, readers praising their favorite poet, walkers praising the countryside, players praising their favorite games. All enjoyment spontaneously overflows into praise. That's what our lives should, should look like. It brings us to a related point, that God wants us to seek pleasure. Does that sound right to you? To, that sounds, to me, that sounded, when I first wrote it, sounded anti-Christian. Like, oh, Christians aren't supposed to enjoy pleasure. I mean, that sounds evil. sounds carnal and wicked. Um, I, I know Christians who look like they've never enjoyed anything in their life when you see them. <laughs> and they're being very pious. You know, God wants us to seek pleasure. I used to, in thinking about it and talking to friends of other faith or of no faith, um, they would ask me, why do you do the things you do? And we'd get into conversations about faith. I'd say, well, if I didn't have any faith, honestly, if I had no faith, if I believed there's nothing beyond this life, I would just be a hedonist, uh, one who seeks pleasure. That's Because what else is there? You, you'd finish life and you're done. Um, John Piper wrote a book about that called Christian Hedonism. Again, it sounds heretical. But he gets into this concept of seeking the right pleasures. Many verses support this concept. In Psalms, the writer says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he'll give you the desires of your heart. He also writes, In thy presence is fullness of joy. In thy right hand are pleasures forevermore. God wants us to enjoy pleasure. He never said, do not store up for yourself treasure, period. He said, do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust corrupt, but store up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust will corrupt. We just opened, we just got to our, my mom's camp out towards Big Bay, and it's always a, the first time you get there, it's an experience to see what has corrupted? It's usually mice and bats. And uh, so we opened up some of the laundry uh, and found some, some corruption of mice that was there. Don't store up for yourself treasures here on earth. Our problem is we seek the wrong pleasures. That's where we get off base. God says, no, I have many pleasures for you. And as parents, we see the same thing. We would, I do as a parent, I would prefer my kids read classic books rather than comic books. Now, there's a place maybe for comic books, but if that's your steady diet, all you do, and say, ah, oh, you, you know, you need to read something better, I'd prefer that they read books rather than video games. A place for video games, maybe. Um, but 
I, I want my children to, to read these. I prefer they have conversations rather than texting. My, my kids text all the time, and I'm not much of a texter. Uh, I can't figure that out. I'd say, why don't, you just, why don't we just call each other and talk? Oh, text, Dad. Uh, I'd prefer face-to-face discussions rather than snapgramming or whatever that thing is that they do. Um, enjoying God in the here and now does not need to be seen in opposition to storing up treasures in heaven. They're not an either-or. Okay, uh, okay, fine, I'll store up treasures in heaven, but I'm not going to have any fun on earth. So. And a lot of Christians act that way. No, he says, you enjoy God in the here and now and store treasures in heaven by seeking the right pleasures. The overriding principle in all of this is the primary will of God. So when we're faced with decisions, if we can begin with that question, will it bring glory to God and lasting joy? That'll solve a lot of questions right there. So when we approach our parents and say, you know, I'm, I'm really interested in want to develop a, well, maybe you don't even do this anymore, a romantic relationship with this non-believer, this girl. She's She's something, and, uh, but she's not a believer, but I'm wondering, I'm praying about, no, no, is that going to bring glory to God and lasting joy? No, it's going to settle those things. Will purposely undervaluing the value of your house on your tax returns so that you save money and cheat the government, would that bring honor and glory to God and lasting joy? No, it might bring temporary joy. Will screaming and cursing at the referee or the umpire, will that bring lasting joy and glory to God? I just saw this week on a, one of those video things, a clip from somewhere in America, seven-year-old baseball game where the stands cleared of parents who objected to an umpire's call and beat each other savagely. Men, women, with all these seven-year-olds watching them. That bring glory to God Will stopping on the way home from church to visit an elderly shut-in person share with them, will that bring glory and lasting joy? When you start asking things like this, it helps. Will taking this vacation bring lasting joy and glory to God? I'm going to sit out by Lake Superior for a good part of the next two weeks, and I can answer that and say, yes, it will. It will bring glory to God. I'm going to sit and enjoy His glory and reflect upon what He's done and think and pray, and it will. Now, if this were my 50th vacation this year, I might need to rethink that, whether that's going to to bring these. In all these situations, we should be asking that question. Now, when you have options that are potentially of equal value regarding glory to God and enjoyment then it can get a little difficult. Um, should I date or marry this Christian or that Christian? Hopefully you have a... And we're going to get into that. There's other things other than simple mathematics. Um, should I take this job or that job? Should I live here or there? Should we have more children? Should we be done? Should we adopt children? Those things can become difficult, but often if we just stop with God's primary will, that'll help us through. Now, when we do find difficulty, let us look at God's express will. 
God's express will. And that could be variably defined or described, but for this discussion today, let me define it as those commands, instructions, or directives that are clearly articulated in Scripture. Those commands, instructions, or directives that are clearly articulated in Scripture. Now, when you find those, one of the good things about it is you don't have to pray about that. I'm not against prayer at all. I think prayer is a good thing. But I, hear, I remember years back, a friend came to me and said this Christian brother had deeply offended him, and he was hurt by it. And this friend came to him penitent, sorry, and asking for his forgiveness. And he said, so I'm, I'm praying about it. I'm praying about whether God wants me to forgive him or not. I said, that's the dumbest prayer I've ever heard. <laughs> well, I don't think God wants to hear that. That's, that's not a help. No, it's, no, it's foolishness. You know? It's very clear in Scripture. There's a very clear articulation. Forgive as I have forgiven you. That's how you need to forgive. So don't pray about it and ask God. You, you might want to pray and ask God for strength or grace or humility to do what is his express will for you, but you don't need to pray about it and think about it and mull about it. You know what you should do. Now, we tend to think of God's express will as mostly don'ts, most of the do-nots, right? Like the Ten Commandments. There's a lot of do-nots in there. Um, and there are in scriptures. There's Ten Commandments. There's do not be unequally yoked. Do not cause your brother to stumble. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. These are, are all there. But there's also many do's, many do's in the scripture. I mentioned, forgive as God has forgiven you. My father's favorite verse to me as a child, and it, was, I, I, it wasn't his favorite verse, but it was his favorite to quote to me when I was fighting with my brother, was be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you. And he used to say that. Look what he did. I mean, come on, Dad. He quoted again. I said, I heard that already. You know, you go on and on with that. Show kindness to strangers and orphans. Care for the widows and orphans. Give joyfully to the Lord. Now, the point in these do's is not to do your good deeds so that others will praise you. We already talked about it. Drawing praise to yourself is not a human quality that we want to seek after. But rather, let your good works be seen that others may glorify God. So let me encourage you to try something in your daily readings. If, you, if you're reading the Bible on a daily or regular basis, keep a little notebook or a, open a new tab or whatever you do to take notes. And when you come across a passage of Scripture that you believe is God's express will, which is a directive, an instruction that is clearly articulated, write it down, and you'll be amazed how many you'll come up with. And then review those, and then do it. Do what God says is his express will for you to do. But we often still have deep questions that we'll find difficult to answer about God's will, about personal questions. What is your personal will for me? And we're going to talk about that. Before we do, I do want to say uh, a great author wrote, we, we often get so caught in thinking about what is God's will for me that we forget 
what is God's will? <laughs> Again, we put ourselves front and forward. But of, of course, we, we all, this is normal. You have decisions to make, real decisions and real choices. You want to know, God, what do you think about this? And we would, that's when we say, just send me a telegram, right? Just put it there in writing and I'll do it. Most often, God doesn't do that. Um, I, one of our missionaries with our group, they're not medical and they work in Brazil. And um, they had a new missionary come to their field who apparently didn't fit in so well. There were issues and problems. But that person had this great testimony that it was crystal clear God called them to Brazil because when they had this deep feeling that they needed to be a missionary, they were eating Brazil nuts at the time. And that was clear. Go to Brazil. And this older missionary who was there commented, he said, I wish they had been eating Mars bars instead of... (laughs) We really want that direct... Thing, but God often speaks through other ways. So here's a few ways God speaks to us about our personal will. Biblical principles. We've talked about his express will, but there are principles that we can glean from the scripture as well. I've already mentioned some of them. Care for the weak and the hurting. Think not only to your own needs. Redeem the world. Be salt and light. Love justice. Show mercy. Walk humbly. These are all principles and all of our actions and Plans need to be measured in light of God's principles. Then there's prayer. Certainly, taking to God in prayer. Now, I, I tend to be very impatient. And I say, I've got to make this decision today, God. Tell me. I'm not willing to wait. And God often says, yeah, I've heard your prayer. Now wait. Wait on me for me to give you that answer. And I think, no, no, I've got to make this now. Bring your requests to God and wait for him to answer. I remember the early days at Tenwick when we first were there, there were um, essentially no telephones. There were two telephones that you had to go through a local ring-up operator, and it took forever and forever, and it was incredibly expensive. And there was no Internet, so there was no Google. There was no, and I was faced with all of these things I'd never seen before. And um, I would have loved to pick up the phone and talk to somebody who had seen it. <laughs> I would have loved that, but there were no instant answers. You write a letter, and uh, it's going to be a month before you get a reply. And so I did a lot of reading of textbooks at that time. But we want instant answers, and God often says, wait. Seek wise counsel of other Christians. Seek wise counsel of mature Christians. Now, when you do this, be objective. Because we often have an agenda, right? I know who feels what about what. So we do this in church councils. I don't know about your church, but I've seen it happen in church councils. I know this guy and this guy and this guy are going to vote on my side. So let's go ask them their opinion. (laughs) See, we took a random sample and they all agree. Um, You can choose who you want to get the answer you want if you're going to do it in an underhanded way. But approach mature Christians and say, here's what I'm struggling with. Here's, tell me what you think. And listen to them. And in most cases, if they agree, do it. Most cases. When we were getting ready to go to the mission field, we had made our plans, we were accepted, and then I started to feel a little funny about it. And what I felt funny about was, I said, "Um, 
I got a bunch of job offers, and I said to my wife, I said, you know, maybe we should just stay in the States for four or five years and make money and put it away for retirement, education, all those kind of things. I said, and, and then we'll go to the mission field. So we said, well, maybe we should get some advice. So I went to a trusted friend, actually a, a former surgeon missionary to Nigeria, and I explained to him what was going on. He said, all right, so as I understand it, you, you really feel called to the mission field. I said, yeah. He said, so your plan is you're going to, and you're going you're to trust God for that. I said, yeah. He said, so you're going to get all your accounts in order and your affairs in order and everything's set, and then, then you're going to fully trust God. I said, well, that doesn't sound so spiritual now. He said, do you believe God's calling you now? I said, yeah. He said, then why don't you go? I said, I can't argue with that. And we went. Seek counsel of wise Christians and take their advice. Circumstances also play into <clears throat> God's personal will. And I wonder how many things we pass up on a daily basis. Opportunities that God puts there for us to minister, for us to be blessed, for us to enjoy God, and we don't take the opportunity to do it. And then, what is your passion? I mentioned that when, if, you're choosing a, if you're choosing a wife, choosing a husband... It's not, there were days, and it still happens in Kenya where the parents will just choose, we're, you're marrying that one. Um, we've gone away from that, and um, I'm, I'm in favor of going away from that. I think our passions should be involved. We should, that should be a part of it. <clears throat> but what are your passions? Um, so many people feel like, you know, people will say, well, I, what I really enjoy um, is uh, mechanics, but Certainly, God wants me to be a pastor, which I hate. So, and I think, no, not exactly. I think God can use a mechanic to bring glory to him, if that's where your passion is. When your passions line up with God's passions, that's when he can use us. And the scripture tells us he even puts those passions in your heart. He gives you the will and the desire to bring about his will. So what are your passions, and how can God use them? The Famous runner Eric Little in that great movie, the kids have never seen it probably, right? The Chariots of Fire. And he said, made that famous statement, God made me fast, and when I run, I feel his pleasure. What are your passions? And how does that lead into God's personal will for you? Sometimes, and I would say infrequently, God gives very, very clear direction I've had that happen multiple times. Recently, just last year, I had a visiting cardiac surgeon with us, his first time at Tenwick Hospital, and he's used to how everything goes in the United States, and he was scrubbed in the operation with one of our residents, and I was not scrubbed in, I was just helping to make sure things were running well, and they got toward the end of the case and got into a really bad situation with the heart fibrillating that would not stop. And there's various maneuvers you do, and I was just making sure the electricity was on for the defibrillator, and things were connected, and they were anesthetists giving drugs and cycling through, and nothing was changing. And they had given what would be the kind of the final dose of drugs, and I said, well, honestly, we have two minutes. You, you need to wait for the drugs to circulate. I said, uh, 
I looked at our scrub nurse who's, he's been, he's a close friend of mine, been there for as long as I've been there. I said, Daniel, why don't you pray for this patient? So he prayed very simply, Lord, we need your help here. We're in trouble. We need your intervention. And uh, finished praying, and they gave one more shock to the heart, and it started beating again normally. And that man, Elijah, went home beautifully. And this, this surgeon was amazed and shocked, and he's a Christian. He's a Christian surgeon. He, um, he said, wow, maybe I should try that more often. <laughs> I, said, I said, yeah, I think you should. I think you should. You know, I was moved that we should pray for this man. Um, just recently, I had another visiting surgeon for his first time there. We had a patient come in. Shadrach was his name, and he's 25 years old. Had had heart surgery a month before. And one of the problems with heart surgery, when you put valves in, is you have to put people on blood thinners. And I, I'm, I could bet my last dollar that there's a number of people in this group today on blood thinners because it's so commonly used. Um, he came in, and one of the complications is you can have bleeding from that. He had a bleed into his brain, a massive bleed. And he came in, they did the CT scan, I looked at it, and it just looked horrible. And uh, he's on a ventilator, and I said, I think it's done. We, we can't save this man. The fellow, that, that's the guy who's in training under me, who I've known for a long time, a wonderful Christian man, he said, he said I think God wants us to try. I just feel that God wants us to try this. And I said, it's hopeless, but okay, all right. You know, you can. And the visiting surgeon was all excited. He said, so who's going to do the surgery? I said, well, you could if you'd like. And he said, no, 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 I'm not doing neurosurgery. And our neurosurgeon was gone. So I said, well, then the fellow will do it. And uh, so he took him to the operating room and opened this brain and got this blood out. He sent me a picture a couple of weeks ago of Shadrach on his way home, praising God for what he'd done. Sometimes the Lord speaks very clearly and we need to answer that. We need to do what he tells us. And finally, what do you do in times of the desert? And by desert, I mean spiritual deserts. And I don't mean just times of trials, but of great despair and depression even. What do you do in those times? Again, I won't ask you to raise your hands, but I suspect there's many people here who have gone through spiritual deserts and just feeling, where is God in all of this? And I don't even know if you're there anymore. You're in good company because many people in Scripture went through those same things. Noah, Job, Abraham, Joseph, David, Elijah, Jeremiah, Jesus Christ himself, 40 days and 40 nights in the desert, being tempted by the devil. In all of these situations... People of great faith experience times of deep despair, trials, temptations, and even great loss of hope. You remember what Job said in the midst of all? He said, I wish I had never been born. What he said, I wish I had never been born. Elijah said, I wish I could die. I wish I could die right now. That's what he told God. David, let me read to you from David's 13th Psalm. He wrote this. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? 
How long will my enemy triumph over me? He was in deep despair and depression. These times can be excruciating, and hope is often very hard to find and hold on to. And let me be very vulnerable with you. I went through a time like this just recently. In April and May of this year, I would be writing those kind of things, exactly. The intersection of many, many different stressors um, in my life brought me to a point of real despair. Let me read to you some of the things I wrote in my own journal during those days in April and May. I wrote, How do I keep on fighting when my strength is gone? How do I keep on singing when the melody is gone? How do I keep on breathing when all hope is gone? How do I keep on eating when all desire is gone? And how do I keep on praising you when all joy is gone? Those were really bad days. And I thank God through good care and good counsel that he's brought healing, continuing to bring healing to my heart and my soul. How did others in the Bible respond? And this helped me. Job said, I wish I'd never been born, yet will I hope in him. He said, I don't feel it now at all, but I will hope in God. Habakkuk said, there's no cattle in the stalls, there's no crops, there's no food, there's nothing, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. David, at the end of this, says, But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. Sometimes when you're in that difficult of a spot, you simply do your best to put one foot in front of the other and even just to get out of bed can be a trial, can be a difficult time. We need to put, to put our foot in, one foot in front of the other and seek help, seek wise counsel from others, seek input and let them speak into this pain in your life and wait upon the Lord. So where are you today? What is God's primary will for you, every single one of you? To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. What can you find in scriptures that teaches you God's express will, those clearly articulated directives and instructions? Learn them and remember them and do them. What decisions are you facing regarding his personal will for you? Pray, reflect, examine your passions, seek wise counsel and listen to it. And those of you in the desert today, cry to the Lord. Cry out to him and tell him. Seek help from others. Let them speak to you and wait upon the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word which always speaks to us. And may your will be done in our lives. May we truly learn how to glorify you and enjoy you in everything we do. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.